Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Until the British cardiologist Dr. Asim Malhotra expressed grave concern about the safety of COVID mRNA vaccines, he was one of the most celebrated doctors in Britain. In 2016, he was named in the Sunday Times Debrett's list as one of the most influential people in science and medicine in the United Kingdom, in a list that included Professor Stephen Hawking. His total Altmetric score, Altmetric score, measure of impact and reach of his medical journal publications since 2013 is over 10,000, making it one of the highest in the world for a clinical doctor during this period. In the early days of COVID-19 vaccine rollout in Britain, he advocated the injections for the general public. However, in July of 2021, he experienced a terrible personal loss that caused him to reevaluate the shots, namely the sudden and unexpected death of his 73-year-old father. His father's death made no sense to him because he knew from his own examination that his father's general and cardiac health were excellent. His post-mortem findings really shocked him. There were two severe blockages in his coronary arteries, which didn't really make sense with everything that he knew, both as a cardiologist someone who has expertise in that area, but also intimately knowing his father's lifestyle and his health. Not long after that, data started to emerge that suggested a possible link between the mRNA vaccine and increased risk of heart attacks from a mechanism of increasing inflammation around the coronary arteries. But on top of that, he was contacted by a whistleblower at a very prestigious university in the United Kingdom, who is also a cardiologist himself, who explained to him that there was a similar research finding in his department, and that those researchers had decided to essentially cover that up because they were worried about losing funding from the pharmaceutical industry. But it doesn't stop there. He started looking at data in the United Kingdom to see if there had been any increase in cardiac arrest. His dad suffered a cardiac arrest and sudden cardiac death at home. Had there been any change in the United Kingdom since the vaccine rollout? And again, those findings were very clear. There's been an extra 14,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests in 2021 versus 2020. The more Mahotra looked into it, the more he felt the same concern about the safety of the mRNA vaccines that Dr. Peter McCullough had felt since the spring of 2021. The alarming incidents of sudden, unexpected deaths during the latter half of 2021 and the first eight months of 2022, especially among the young and fit, strengthened his grave concern and suspicion. In September of 2022, After a thorough investigation of the growing volume of data, he came to his conclusion. The COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or 
been the primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. You must get the vaccine, they said. You are going to kill everyone's grandmother, they said. It will prevent you from catching COVID, they said. It will prevent you from spreading COVID, they said. If you do not get the vaccine, you do not deserve to participate in society any longer, they said. You cannot play sports, they said. You cannot travel, they said. What they didn't say was that they didn't do nearly the amount of research necessary to ensure that getting the vaccine was less dangerous than catching COVID. The Vaccine Safety Research Foundation did a compilation video It's about four minutes long that I'll link in the show description that I highly encourage you to watch. It was hard to stomach, but in addition to that, I encourage you to do a little research on your own. Go to Google and type in suddenly dies in the search bar, then click the news tab. Look at page after page of fit and healthy person suddenly dies articles. Don't get me wrong, I get it. People die every day. But the number of young, healthy, vibrant lives that are being cut short due to mysterious heart conditions that appear out of nowhere seems a bit excessive. Now, what you're going to see over the course of the next year or so is a media that appears to have done a 180 on Joe Biden. Before the midterm election, they couldn't wait to post another article praising the aviator-wearing, ice-cream-eating, cognitive degenerate who can barely string two sentences together without losing his train of thought. Now you have CBS openly admitting that Hunter Biden's laptop and the contents within are not part of a Russian disinformation campaign, but in fact are a very real indication that during his tenure as vice president, Joe Biden was using his son as a proxy to funnel money from foreign entities into the family coffers. Something, mind you, that was not only reported by the New York Post in 2020, but was subsequently removed from all social media for being, quote, disinformation. This will appear as if the media has decided to dial back their bias. It's really just because they don't want Biden to represent the Democratic Party anymore, and they're looking to tarnish his reputation within his own base, and the independents in hopes that he will decide not to run in 2024. Which brings me to the next topic. Faced with a Congress that would not endorse his expansive regulatory agenda, Obama famously remarked, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. Almost 10 years later, Rule by executive fiat continues, and we can't really be surprised since this entire administration is just musical chairs Obama 2.0. The latest round of policymaking by pen and phone came when President Biden designated 50,000, I'm sorry, 53,804 acres of land in north central Colorado as the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument. That designation will have significant consequences because the entire area is now withdrawn from a host of future resource extraction 
and other productive land use activities. This is not the first attempt to reserve the area. It was one of the central objectives of the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy Act, or the CORE Act, yet the CORE Act failed several times to secure the necessary votes in the Senate to become a law. A casual observer might wonder how Biden could unilaterally set aside tens of thousands of acres of land with just the stroke of a pen, even after Congress made it clear that it would not endorse such a policy. The answer lies in presidential abuse of power under the Antiquities Act. Congress passed the Antiquities Act in 1906 with a narrow focus in mind, to protect Native American archaeological sites from looting and destruction. To accomplish this goal, the law permits the president to designate landmarks, structures, and objects of historic or scientific interest situated on lands owned or controlled by the federal government as, quote, national monuments. It also permits the president to reserve surrounding public lands, but such lands must be confined to the smallest area compatible with the protection of the object. Presidents typically designate monuments under the act through presidential proclamations, which do not require public notice or an opportunity for the public to comment on the designations. In the modern era, successive presidents have illegally expanded the scope and size of monuments under the Act. Recent presidents have decided that the law not only protects objects in ordinary parlance, but also entire ecosystems. In doing so, they jettisoned the Act's limits. For example, in 2016, Obama set aside almost 1.35 million acres in Utah as the Bears Ears National Monument, vastly more than needed to protect specific antiquities. Even the requirement that areas set aside be, quote, lands has fallen away. In 2009, President Bush established the Pacific Remote Islands Marine National Monument designating roughly 86,000 square miles of open ocean and island habitat. In 2014, Obama drastically expanded the monument to 495,189 square miles, an area nearly five times the size of all of the United States national parks combined, and nearly twice the size of Texas. Commercial fishing was banned within the monument and in 2021, identifying ecosystems and biodiversity as protectable objects under the Act, Biden reinstated a ban on commercial fishing in the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument, an area spanning roughly 5,000 square miles. If an ecosystem can be an object, if open ocean can be lands, and if an area twice the size of Texas can be the smallest area compatible with the protection of an object, then the act is merely a mechanism for the president to unilaterally make significant policy decisions affecting the federal estate. By concluding that the ecosystem surrounding these objects is itself an object, Biden has swept in tens of thousands of acres of adjacent undeveloped land. This is one example of the broader subversion of checks and balances that has occurred 
as the unconstitutional administrative state has grown. Frustrated by Congress, the standard presidential procedure is to just bypass the legislative process altogether and enact significant policies via executive fiat. But under our system of government, significant policy decisions must be made by Congress. The president and executive branch are limited to the execution and enforcement of laws. This separation of powers is fundamental. Elected representatives in Congress are directly accountable to the people they represent and are best situated to deliberate deliberate upon and assess the trade-offs of any given policy. At times, the legislative process may seem cumbersome, but this is a feature, not a bug. It's not supposed to be easy to impose significant policies upon the American public. Last term, the Supreme Court reaffirmed this constitutional first principle in West Virginia versus the EPA. The court struck down an agency regulation that codified a failed legislative proposal to enact a cap-and-trade scheme that would have fundamentally altered the nation's power grid. As relevant to the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument, the Senate deliberated upon the CORE Act and perhaps recognizing the trade-offs of a decision to stymie productive activity at Camp Hale, decided that protection of the area was unwise. Dissatisfied with that outcome, Biden reached for his pen. Americans should be concerned with the continuing degradation of the separation of powers that Biden's designation of the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument represents. The White House on Friday was forced to clean up President Biden's comments after he appeared to say that he was ready to intervene to help the country's protest movement. At a campaign event, oh, I'm sorry, Iran is who I'm talking about. I forgot to put which country. <laughs> um, at a campaign event in San Diego, California, a day earlier, Biden said, don't worry, we're going to free Iran. They're going to free themselves pretty soon. So which is it? Are we going to free them? Are they going to free themselves? His words triggered speculation that Washington was preparing action to support growing protests as well as scornful remarks by the Iranian president, who accused Biden of being absent-minded. A day later, one of his top national security aides was asked what he had meant by his comments. Quote, The president was expressing our solidarity with the protesters as he's been doing, quite frankly, from the very outset. Even in the well of the UN, making it clear that we stand with the men and women of Iran who are peacefully trying to protest. Policies that they find are violating their basic civil and human rights, said John Kirby, who is the National Security Council coordinator for strategic communication. He added that there had been no change. We're going to look for ways to hold the regime accountable for the way they're treating their own people, said Kirby. Yeah, sure. Negotiating a nuclear deal with the mullahs, releasing $7 billion in sanctions from South Korea, and begging for oil production is totally holding the regime accountable. Can't imagine what it would look like if you were being soft. It's going to be, it should be, up to the people of Iran to determine their future. And that hasn't changed. It has to be up to the people of Iran. 
Biden made his comments in an aside during a campaign speech when members of the audience held up cell phones displaying the message, Free Iran. It's not the first time the White House has been forced to clean up Biden's foreign policy stance. Officials have repeatedly had to walk back Biden's promise to defend Taiwan if China makes good on its promises to seize the autonomous island. Several times, he has got out ahead of official American foreign policy of strategic ambiguity, which helps arm Taiwan and its government, but is vague on how far Washington would actually go in protecting its freedom. I think it's really fascinating that you say something like uh, that you've had to walk back his comments because he's gotten ahead of foreign policy. And it's like, he's the commander in chief. He's the top. He's the top. Like, how does he get ahead of who's who's dictating foreign policy? Not the president of the United States. That's odd, right? Anyway, Uh, Smart TD, one of the largest railroad labor unions, voted down a tentative agreement with the rail management, raising the likelihood of a strike in December. The BLET, the other largest union, voted to ratify the labor deal, but said it would honor the picket line. The rail industry has estimated the impact of a strike at $2 billion per day. A strike would affect all of the major rail operators, including Union Pacific, Norfolk, Southern, and CSX. During the tentative agreement review process, Pierce and Smart TD President Jeremy Ferguson traveled the country together, held joint town halls to explain the deal to union members. Both unions credit the record turnout as a result of the president's meetings with members. The BLET represents approximately 24,000 professional locomotive engineers and trainmen throughout the United States. The BLET is the founding member of the Rail Conference, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the majority of Smart Transportation Division's 36,000 members are conductors, who split with the union's other members on the vote. But the union also represents brakemen, yardmen, engine service employees, and yardmasters who are voting on a separate contract. To ratify the tentative agreement, each of those respective union groups must individually agree to the deal. Under the Railway Labor Act, Congress does have the authority to take action to avert a strike. The American Chemistry Council which represents companies including 3M, Dow, DuPont, BP, ExxonMobil, and Eli Lilly, said that a rail strike would impact approximately $2.8 billion in chemicals cargo a week and lead to a GDP decline and renewed inflation. Other industries from agriculture to retail have warned of the economic risks of a strike. UPS, which is the rail's largest customer, said in a statement to CNBC that it has the capabilities to help manage the situation if an agreement is not reached, which includes its flexible and integrated smart logistics network. Our network planning tools also enable extensive coordination across UPS facilities around the world, including preemptively rerouting packages to alternative lanes to minimize unexpected disruption for our customers. As long as you aren't buying ammo or gun parts, and then you're going to be inconvenienced as much as UPS possibly can do so. 
Based on the September strike preparation guidelines, if the BRS sticks with their strike date of December 5th, strike prep is expected to begin on November 28th, the day that the Senate arrives back from Thanksgiving break. The House is back on the Hill on November 29th. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me. You take care and have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.